a really big stretch of days here for Penn State Athletics. Not just Penn State football, but also Penn State basketball. We're touching a little bit on Penn State basketball recruiting today with our senior editor, Nate Bauer, once again, back for the Blue White Illustrated Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Nate, you sick of me yet? <laughs> Never. Never. We can do this every day. Let's do it. We, I, I, I do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You already do do it every day. I'd like to join you more every day. Oh, uh, it's just all right. One of the, one of the highlights of my day, seeing your smiling face on the other side. Oh, well, thank really. you. Yeah, uh, we, we've got a lot to talk about today. There's a lot of uh, news and notes. Brandon Smith is the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. We're going to get into that for the majority of the show today because it's a really interesting conversation about how Brandon Smith has played so far this season and where uh, Nate and I think he stands. We'll also get into an interesting trend that is very different than what we've seen in the previous years under James Franklin when it comes to the snap counts, especially on defense. We're going to get into all that today. And of course, like we said, some basketball recruiting, but tomorrow Dave Eckert is joining us to give you the full recap on basketball recruiting. Cause it's been a very big stretch of days and a pretty big, uh, you know, commitment wise, a couple guys are going to be uh, committing over the next couple of days. So we'll wrap all that up with Dave tomorrow, but, Nate, let's start with Brandon Smith, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, what were your thoughts about how he played against Auburn? Yeah, so, I mean, first, let's just acknowledge kind of the obvious. Uh, Big Ten Player of the Week in any category is named or given to the guy who had the best stat line. Oh, yes, it is. Right? Yes, like, it is. It really, I mean, who Go knows? Down the stat sheet, who had the most numbers? Boop. Correct. And so, you know, and so sometimes, um, you, you know, this is my 17th year doing this. Um, you have to win, right? Like yep. your team has to be the winner. Uh, if you if your team lost, it doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what your stats are. You have no chance. <laughs> but your team has had to have won. <laughs> yeah. uh, and... Sometimes there could be other better performances in general, right? Like, yeah, or even on your own team. Yes, exactly. Like, I would guess that you would make an argument. Maybe PJ Mustafer had a better game or more disruptive game on Saturday, you know, even than Brandon Smith. So, or Jesse Lucetta. Honestly, Jesse Lucetta also had a huge impact, and a lot of those plays that Brandon Smith made were set up by those two guys you just mentioned. Yeah. So, you know, so like, let's start there. And that's to take absolutely nothing away from Brandon Smith. He had 10 tackles, um, you know, so that that counts. Yeah. Can you give us the stat line? I was trying to pull that up, but can you give us his stat line as it was quoted by the Big Ten? Because, it, you know, when you say it that way, it was pretty impressive. Um, I can't. I don't have it at this exact moment. Let me let me. OK, let me. I believe it was I believe it was one tackle for a loss, one pass breakup, 10 total tackles and a partridge in a pear tree. There was something else in there, but uh, that was that was roughly the stat line. Yes. Uh, Quarterback hurry. Yes, that was was hurry in there. So, um, you know, that's sure. Yeah, he he played well. He played well. And he said he's had a a pretty good um, statistically a pretty good start to the season. Yep. This year. Yep, and he has. I mean, you you look at the way he's played so far this season, and he has been disruptive uh, in the passing game. He's played well in that facet, uh, and he he's racked up a lot of tackles. PFF has him as, I believe, the second or the leading tackler on the team. 
Uh, he leads the, ta- the team in total tackles, and he is second on the team in stops. And those are plays where the defense wins. So you don't count just tackles for loss. It's tackles for, you know, two yards or three yards setting up second or third and long or getting, you know, a third down stop. Those are all counted by PFF, and he is second on the team with 11. That is, that is good. That's a good season statistically. So we're all, we're prefacing this. We're saying all of these good things because there is a butt coming. Also, also fifth in the big 10 uh, and 49th in the country in total tackles so mm-hmm. far with 25 this year, 15 of which were solo. Uh, and he's sixth in the, in the conference for solo tackles. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I think the solo tackle is something that, that, maybe gets an extra, you know, feather in your cap, right? In in terms of you made the play. Like it was, it's not like a a gang tackle where uh, a bunch of people were flying to the ball. So, you know. But this this is roughly what people were hoping for, at least on the production side from Brandon Smith, as he moved into this will position where he's not playing in space as much. I think all of these numbers, even if you look at, uh, you know, some of the more advanced metrics, they point to more ball production, more plays around the line of scrimmage, and he has been making those. And I think that that is a huge step forward. Now, to me, when I watch the film, it's the down-to-down consistency that he still needs to work on. And that's why if you look at, you know, the PFF grades that we post on the message board, and we have an article about that each week, people are usually pretty upset because the numbers are lower than you expect. But one of the areas is that that efficiency of being consistently in the right place and not being pushed off the spot in the run game. Because, and we I've talked about this before, as much as they're making those big plays, there are consistently gap integrity issues in the front seven. And part of those have been Brandon Smith's issue. Yeah. No, and he's, look, like, he has acknowledged... Um, I had an interview with him this summer where he was talking about the adjustment to having 310 pound offensive linemen, uh, to shed, right. Or to dip around like those, that is, that is even as a third year player at the beginning of his third year, it's all still, uh, you know, he's not a finished product. He's not, he's not, um, he's not at that point where you would say, Oh, this guy, this guy has it a hundred percent together play to play. I mean, when you talk about consistency, I think that's one of the things that is often stressed so much that younger players or maybe conversely older players are the guys who have it right. Like even Michael Parsons, we, we talk about him all the time, but uh, even Michael Parsons, one of the complaints, one of the one of the areas that he acknowledged and that the coaching staff acknowledged through the earlier part of his career, those first few years, was you just didn't really know from play to play exactly, you know what what you were going to get. Like he, yeah. he, it just it was um, it, it's hard to know where to be all the time in yeah. this game, and yep. and that's that's kind of the 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 bottom line until you've been through it enough times and now we're talking about a guy in brandon smith who is is coming off of a position change like he's he's flip sides he's um you know he's he's gone from sam to will this year so uh i think that what our conversation is today very likely given this kid's talent and what he's working with is is 
likely to change by the end of the season, right? Yeah. In in November, yeah. we're going to be talking about a different player. Even even though the stats are impressive right now, we're going to be talking about a more reliable, more consistent player in November than we are today. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing to highlight is he's making the plays now. He's making those big-time plays. One of them in particular that, that stands out to me was, you know, I mentioned P.J. Mustafer and Jesse Lucchetta of one of them forced the, the ball out wide against Tank Bigsby or, or it was a receiver on, on an end-around. Jesse Lucchetta gets out in the in the flat and, and turns it back inside. And Brandon Smith, without missing a beat, shoots the gap and just destroys the guy. So those are the plays. Like if you have that trio working on the front, you need a guy to go in and make those plays that has the downhill trigger to do that. And, and Brandon Smith absolutely does. And I, I think it's interesting. You and I talked about this during our freaks episode on the BWI daily a couple weeks ago before the start of the season. And, and Micah Parsons and Brandon Smith have been compared a couple of times, but to me, they're very different players. Uh, Micah Parsons was a defensive end playing linebacker. So he had those that ability to disengage, that natural ability to shoulder his way into the gap, to to use his hands and his body leverage to defeat blocks without thinking about it. Like, truthfully, you watch Micah Parsons play the run, he doesn't consider the offensive lineman at all. Like, that's just a given he's going to beat that guy. And then it becomes, how does he get in the hole? Where is he going? That sort of thing. Brandon Smith, as you mentioned, moving from Sam to Will he has to learn how to play with his hands a little more. He doesn't have those skills. He's a safety-like player moving into the box. And this is what I was trying to say the first time we we talked about this is Micah Parsons and, and Brandon Smith, despite having relatively same heights and, and weights and things, they're very different stylistically and I think body composition. So... Brandon Smith has those long arms, and he needs to learn how to use those a little bit better, as, as you mentioned, he talked about, in disengaging from, from blocks. Because when he does it, he is an un, he's an unblockable force in the box. And we see fits and starts of it, but there have been times in the Wisconsin game, especially, and then uh, this past week against Auburn, where if, if, the, if P.J. Musfer isn't holding up that double team, or if somebody doesn't get their block on the first level, Brandon Smith can have a hard time of hold his gap, but then make the play. And, and right. that's been that's been the next level thing for him. And I think that's going to be a, a, a learning process over time. But one, as you mentioned, we should see by the end of the season. Yeah. And and, and all of that is as opposed to him having the opportunity to make a play in space. Right. Yeah. When 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 he's able to run sideline to sideline, which is like none, none of this is uh, is inside information like the kid that he acknowledges it that that is what he's comfortable doing is finding the ball and then racing to it right like that's it. so so anytime the ball is out there in space now i'm not talking about pass coverage but when 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 it's a run and the ball is moving brandon smith is a, a heat-seeking missile that's that yeah. is his intent uh, to to be that, and so I think that that for him to have the opportunity now to play freely and uh, to to fall into that role, yes, it allows him to excel at that. But it doesn't mean that there aren't areas um, that he still needs to learn how to navigate, and and yeah. that are are drastically different from the last time he was a will, which was in high school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like uh, the high the, just the it's a little different. It's a little different. It's it's just a totally um, different environment and something that 
you know, he, he's going to adjust to and going to make, uh, you know, have development in that area as the season goes along. I, I do think his time playing in space has helped him be a better coverage player uh, sure. because he, he's improved this year and it's not necessarily everything that's showing up on the stat sheet. I was, I was looking at some of these numbers and he's allowed 11 catches on 13 targets this season, which you say probably if you think about that, it's over 80%. That's not good, right? As a linebacker, first off, it's super hard to play coverage in, in college football. It's nearly impossible in football anymore to be a coverage linebacker. It's just such a hard job. But he's covering different types of players at this point, and he's not out in space. So last season, I talked about this earlier this year, he had more slot snaps you know, covering up in the slot than any other linebacker in the Big Ten. So he was put in a tough situation last year, and he struggled. Uh, but this year, his yards per reception is down almost f- two full yards. He's not yep. allowing yards after the catch on catch and runs. When he when he sees a guy, he tackles him, and that's his job. Like, as a linebacker, your job for the most part in underneath coverage is to see it and to tackle it. So you're going to have a high percentage of, of catches against you but it's about the yards after catch and how many total yards are you allowing. The, if you're good in coverage, they're not throwing behind you because you've got that that nailed down. You've, you're in that passing lane, and then you're forcing the underneath throw. He's been doing that so far. I mean, we talked about this on the, the live show earlier this week. Uh, no quarterback has been uh, has been averaging more than five yards a pass so far this season because they've been short targets and they've been tackled quickly. And part of that has been Brandon Smith. So I think it's been an overall improvement by the underneath coverage for Penn State and Brandon Smith being in the box doing that is a big part of that. Yeah, and and that is the point of this Penn State defense. Yeah. Right? Like, if, if Brent Pry can draw it up... Uh, not that you want teams to live off of five yards a play, but Penn State defensively can live with give, giving that up, right? Five yards yeah. pass. Like if you're if you're not letting anything behind you and immediately make a stop. I, I said this in the live show: the ability of college teams, college offenses, to plod down the field. Right, without yep. picking up 15, 20 yard plays with and with no uh you know explosive 50 yarders to the house, it's very hard. <laughs> it yeah. is very hard to do that. It's very Most- hard in the NFL. Like, let's be honest. You're and and I think James has quoted this before of the percentage when you get an explosive play on a drive, your scoring percentage, the likelihood of scoring goes up dramatically. Doesn't matter yep. what level of football. Yeah. Yeah. So so but and conversely, your opportunities as a defense to create an explosive play yourself, uh, a splash play with a sack or a strip, you know, whatever, like fumble, yeah. uh, force fumble, all of those things go up when it's when you need what seven first downs to, yeah. to get into the end zone. Like if yep. if that if that's if that's the style of offense that you're forcing your opponent to play, it increases your likelihood and possibility of making those plays yourself. So, I, I mean, I, I just think that that what Penn State is doing holistically and Brandon Smith being a big part of that is honestly pretty close to, to what they want. I mean, certainly yeah. you don't want you don't want the, the the running backs maybe to have as much success as they did on Saturday night. 
But um, generally speaking, you're going to win a lot of games if you hold teams to 20 points. Yep. Yeah. And and to, to circle back to our original point about the stats that Brandon Smith has been accumulating, you know, he'll, if you're good at everything and you're then you're just an elite defense, right? Then you're just elite at everything. And I think that's always the goal. But for now and for what he's doing, I think Brandon Smith is playing really well because he's getting those stops. He's getting those tackles for a loss and he's yep. creating enough negative plays to outweigh some of the mistakes that he might be making or some of the times he's just simply beat by the offensive lineman or the tight end that gets him on a block. Now, if he cleans those up, he is going to be gone and he's going to be a draftable player by the end of the season. Uh, so that's just the bottom line. He might be anyway, but you know, if he becomes that all around player, then, then you're looking for your next will linebacker because everything else is in place for him. But as far as he's playing right now, I think he's playing really good football. And while, you know, that down to down consistency isn't there, I think, you know, it's well-deserved that he was the big 10 player of the week because he has been making enough impact plays to at least not be an undeserving candidate of that award. Yeah. And, and let's do this. Let's compare it to last year, right? Let's, let's compare it to Jesse Lucetta in that spot. Yeah. And right. Like, if, if you look at the moves that Penn State has made defensively, shifting its players into different roles, right? Uh, and Lucetta is still capable of being a Mike, but we've seen now this year what he can do as an end. Uh, yeah. Right? All the It's just rather than having to adjust to problems, as was the case last year, this season they're able to adjust to preferences yes to, right like to to the best spot uh you know for some of these guys and, and what their capabilities are so no i mean it, i don't think there's any question right like this is the position brandon smith is supposed to be playing and with continued development he, he he's already pretty good yeah. and yeah. probably going to get Pretty, pretty better. <laughs> yeah, pretty better. I like it. <laughs> by November. I, so, you know, just projecting forward, if he does improve some of those consistency issues in, in, in the run box, he is a modern day linebacker. So there is no yeah. doubt about his ability in, in a more confined space to be a good coverage player. Now, Penn State doesn't run a lot of man coverage, but I, you know, I think as far as what you're looking for from the athletic profile, the intelligence, and the ability to, to do everything at 6'3", 245 with uh, anaconda arms, like he is what you're looking for. And, uh, you know, I, I think we both know him as the person. He's going to work to be good at all the things he's supposed to be. But yeah. one thing that is clear so far this season, he's been playing a lot of snaps. And so have the rest of the defense. Part of that is because they've played Ball State, Wisconsin, and Auburn. So two of those three teams, it's not like there were a lot of fourth quarter snaps or you weren't going to put a lot of guys in the game in important situations. But this is a big difference from what we've seen from James Franklin over time. And I'm starting to think that without having two non-conference games that you feel pretty confident about, they haven't been putting those guys in early in the season to get reps to then have those more meaningful reps in October and November. Right now, we were talking about this earlier. If you look at the snap counts, 10 guys have over 150 of the 250 snaps so far this season. The rest of everyone who's played so far has been in a much more reduced rotational role than before, even guys like Kalen King. Do you think that they're going to have enough opportunities 
to get those guys reps to feel confident with them? And what's your situation? What's, what's your read on that and the freshman class, which we've talked very little about? Yeah, I a couple of points. One, this remains James Franklin's waking nightmare to to have had. Right, it's like a double edged sword because on the one hand, his team is now in a position to compete in the toughest environments and the toughest stages against the toughest opponents. Like that is, that is invaluable. That is, that is a great uh, byproduct of the experiences that they have had so far this season. But the counter argument is he, he loves and needs, like he, he considers it a need to have opponents that you, you don't stress over. To, to have a couple of those yeah. so that you can get your players live reps in a game. Like that is also invaluable for not just for this season, but for the development of your program. Yep. <laughs> like that's a, that's a, that's a long-term thing. You don't uh, get preseason games. You don't get scrimmages. You don't get any well, of that. Think of, I mean, think about the opportunities that Sean Clifford had as what was it? Uh, uh, his sophomore, his second year in the program, right? He's in his fifth yeah. year right now. So his second year, he didn't finish. He didn't finish with a ton of completions, but he got in the game. Yeah, he got in the game and threw some touchdowns. Right? I mean, it, at one point he was four of five or three of four yeah. with three touchdowns. You know, like it was yep. it was some stupid number, but that's that's valuable that's and it's and it's not just at the quarterback position it's all over the field because you cannot duplicate that experience in practice and so for Penn State this season now they've gone through really the ringer uh yes there were some opportunities to get guys in late against Ball State yeah but they have not built up a lead, obviously against Wisconsin and obviously against Auburn. You wouldn't expect that in the first place. Both of those games came down to literally the final play of the game. Yep. In both instances, there was no wiggle room. There was never a lead where you could feel comfortable doing that. Um, and so, yeah, now, now with Villanova on deck, I think it becomes tremendously important. I, I am. Yeah. I have no doubt. It's it's funny because we're all going to talk about this as you know this this walkover game because it's an FCS team. Yeah. And uh, do I think that Penn State should win? Absolutely. But I, I can almost guarantee you that the message from James Franklin and his coaching staff this week is going to be it is vitally important to not only win this game but to beat them play well to death. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta win and win fast and win hard. Like, yep. get up by forty points in the first half so that you can create that wiggle room for yourself uh, to to start to get some guys some some reps in, in the second half. Yeah. So here are the guys, especially on defense. This is where Penn State <laughs> rotates quite a bit. Um, we haven't seen the number of receivers that we have in the past, but that's really one area where we see more depth. 
Uh, on defense, I'm just going to point out the guys that I've seen play during meaningful snaps in games that uh, that have been still in the deciding balance. So one of the guys that has actually been seeing more run than I expected was Kaziah Izzard at defensive tackle. He's played in all three games. Not a ton of snaps, but they have come on drives where P.J. Mustafer needed a blow, and he was one of the guys that came in. Uh, everyone knows, of course, Kalen King has been one of those guys. And that's it. Like, Charlie Catcher has been the linebacker that's come in to, to give one of those guys a blow, but that's that's it. Like, those are the the meaningful guys, and he's a veteran. Tyler Rudolph would be another one, but he, he didn't see a ton of time last week. In fact, I don't think he played in that game whatsoever because uh, he didn't play in the first half for a targeting rule, and in the second half, he didn't play. So even the guys that we're expecting to be in the two deep, they, they haven't played this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Reed, right, like, yep. is with the third team, I think, at safety and had some buzz uh, you know, about him. I think Kobe King at, at linebacker is a guy who, you know, I, I think there is some level of expectation that that he'll get an opportunity. And obviously he played, he was able to play in that Ball State game. But, uh, you know, there just there just haven't been, you know, a ton of those opportunities otherwise. I, I don't know what the expectation is for, um, you know, uh, Townley and Vandenberg. Like, I, you know, in terms yeah. of, those guys getting significant reps. I know that they like Vandenberg. Uh, there's yeah. no question about that. Uh, and he did get into that, that ball state game, but in general, uh, certainly defensively, but also offensively, there there are components of that true freshman class that I, I don't think there's any question. They would like to get them start to get them some run, uh, you know, in game situations. Yeah, a couple other guys that I've been surprised we haven't seen a lot of. AJ Litton got into the program a little bit late for me, but he's he's seen a couple snaps. Johnny Dixon was here in the spring, and he was yep. here in camp, and we have not seen him in the rotation. I imagine, because, again, looking at the guys who have the most snaps on the team, Tariq Castro-Fields leads the team with 209 of 250 snaps. So he's been on the field almost the entire time, as has Joey Porter Jr. having 200 snaps to his name as well, 195 round up a little bit so those corners where they rotate a lot traditionally yeah. I mean we saw Joey Porter Jr. and Keaton Ellis in the biggest game of the year against Minnesota and that was part of the issue but that was also part of their development and you know they were there because they got the early season reps for James Franklin and Brent Pry to trust them and I think that's always been the biggest thing you've talked about it before I've had this conversation with a lot of people about trust is the thing that gets you on the field and yep. there hasn't been that opportunity to build any outside of practice. So you don't really know. On the offensive side of the ball, the one guy I'll point out, and I know we both have thought this guy would see some playing time at some point, was Landon Tangwall. Yep. What's your read on that situation? Because it's not like parts of the offensive line have been hitting on all cylinders. Yeah. No, I mean, I look, for you to displace somebody on the offensive line, right? Like a, a, as a true freshman, uh, first of all, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> it's like yeah. a tr true freshman offensive linemen uh, who play and play quite a bit are very rare. Um, and Penn state has had a few, no, no, no doubt about it, but that, that is a rare situation uh, to be able to do that. And, and I do think that it's interesting because Phil Troutline brought up before the season in preseason media day, he was talking about how his goal was to have how could he have as many offensive linemen be ready to play that he would feel comfortable playing 
at Wisconsin as he possibly could. That was a huge goal of the preseason. No surprise here because it it holds true to kind of how Penn State has approached things in the past. But look at the snap counts on the offensive side of the ball. One, yeah. two, three, four, and number seven. So five of the top seven are offensive linemen. Right? Yeah. Like that that starting five on the offensive line, uh, and really uh, of which the seventh, Eric Wilson, would be in the top five if he hadn't split reps with Anthony uh, Wigan in the first in the first game, yeah. right? So, so you know, um, for a position that, yeah, again, like you, you just there's a balance between, yeah, this offensive line in general needs experience together as a first team unit yeah. to, right to to they need to be better than they already are. Like, I, I don't think that there's any question about that. They want to be better than they already are, even though they've made improvements on last year. Uh, so, so you have to balance that objective with, Hey, but also <laughs> you gotta, you gotta get snaps for, for some of the other, these other guys. Cause yeah. they, you know, they're going to play at some point, whether it's this year or down the line, but it, it the opportunity needs to happen for them uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting and I've been curious as to how much is Phil Troutwine's influence on that rotation and how much is, you know, James Franklin has traditionally in the past made sure that at least three guards have played. Like that's really there's been two guys that get the majority of the reps, but somebody else has been working in getting time, making sure that they are uh developing or that they are pushing the starters. And yep. really, it's been finding the starter has been what they've been doing so far this year because Bryce Effner played in the, in the second half of the Auburn game, but really for the for those first three games, the second half of the Wisconsin game, Ball State in the first half of the Auburn game, it, Eric Wilson took over that job, and then he, that was his that was really his position until there started to be some issues along the line, and then we saw a little more Bryce Effner. It just it's been very fascinating to watch that development and that change so far in the program. But again, I think this weekend we'll see a little bit more of a shift and more of a change because not just the Villanova factor, but also the factor of they want to get this done. They want to get more guys involved. James Franklin has always been adamant about getting as many players involved and having a, a you know a happy locker room where everyone feels like they're a part of the winning and the losing. Uh, so that is is going to be what I'm watching for on Saturday um, in terms of getting up to that. Do you really think like they need to be basically pulling their starters by halftime in this game? Do they, do they need to be? No. Do they want to be? Probably. <laughs> I mean, you know, look like I, I don't know a ton about, obviously it's early in the week. I don't know a ton about Villanova yet uh, other than at this point, I don't either. So you're not alone. <laughs> right. I mean, but that's, that's a that's a program that has had some traditional level success, right? Like they're going to they're going to uh, they're going to play you tough. I guess is just yeah. you know the only way that I would put it. And so, yeah, it's it's James Franklin does not hook the starters early ever. Really, he doesn't. He he yeah. never he never pulls them before he feels like a game is well out of hand. Uh, and so for Penn State to be able to do that this weekend against this team 
it's going to take a, a good performance. They're going to have to play better than they did against Ball State to be able to to get to that level. Yeah. Um, you know, because they, they played well against Ball State, but they could have played better. There there were elements and areas, and I think they acknowledged that after that game, that, that they could have been more efficient offensively. Hey, it, get some points, have some stops, yeah. create some breathing room, and go from there. Yep. Uh, and and continuing that success is an important thing. One area that Penn State has had a lot of success so far has been in the recru- recruiting trail. Lamont Payne commits this weekend during the whiteout game. We will have a film session of that coming up. Uh, T. Frank's film room coming up. There's just been a bunch of stuff going on that will be coming up soon. Uh, but also, What's going on? I don't know, man. It, maybe it's the three live shows we're doing and the 18 other videos. But, you know, no excuse. No, no excuse. Oh, and the... And then an Auburn game, a whiteout. No excuse. Should have been done already. Um, But Penn State basketball has also been having quite the run uh, so far as Micah Shrewsbury has been taking over this program. They also got a big commitment this past weekend. And there's another one coming up today. And there was another one sandwiched in there between take us through what's going on with the Penn State basketball program. Because as we're all focusing on football, quietly some some things are happening with Penn State basketball. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't think there's any question. I mean, obviously, uh, last month they got Jameel Brown, um, you know, for this class of 2022, which is, um, you know, starting to to really round into shape. Uh, and then this weekend they got uh, Keba. I, I don't, I can't pronounce his last name. Um, so uh, uh, a center who's rated in the rivals 150. I mean, I think that he looks like a little bit of a development, um, you know, kind of prospect for, for that program, but one that I don't think there's any question that they're excited about. They need bigs and, you know, that's a, that's a major first step. To, to get a forward with his size. I mean, I think he's listed at 6'9", 210, 220, something like that. Um, you know, so so you bring that in. And then uh, tonight, there's uh, an announcement for uh, Lily, who is another big, right? Like mm-hmm. a guy who has the frame, has the size that, um, you know, certainly I think Penn State is, is hoping to be able to, to add him to you know, what they've already built in this, in this class, but it's, you know, for a program who added as many transfers as they did through the portal this off season to come back and off of that and demonstrate that you are also going to prioritize and emphasize recruiting from the traditional high school ranks, you you know, it's like, it's a little bit of a shift and it's, it's, uh, uh, a good early sign for the program that Micah Shrewsbury and his staff have been able to assemble this level of talent. I mean, I think pretty quickly too. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know where they rank in the, in the team rankings right now. Um, but I, I certainly, I think that they, they feel as though there's an opportunity to build the type of class that will be significant, not just to the program, but on a national scale. Yeah. Right. Like uh, something that will register in that realm. So that's that's really interesting because that's a big shift to me, because watching what Patrick Chambers did, he was by far successful in recruiting and, and built up a lot at Penn State over his time. But already Michael Shrewsbury has been taking this to a national level. Yeah. Is that something that Penn State fans should 
expect to continue? Like, is that his profile as a recruiter? Is that his profile as a coach? I think that when you can show prospects demonstrably the improvements and the developments that you had a direct hand in with NBA players. Yeah. That, that just, it carries a lot of weight. It it really does. It's effective. Uh, I I actually had an opportunity to, uh, to see Shrewsbury this weekend. He's a disarming guy. He's, he's very, um, I don't know, down to earth. Right. Yeah. Like I, I just I think that's the that's the message that's kind of the character and the persona that he has. Um and so yeah, I mean to to he, he hasn't coached a game. <laughs> he hasn't right. coached a game. Right. And so and so can I sit here and project that there's gonna be nationally relevant recruiting classes every year henceforth? No, probably not. I, I mean, I, we're still, let's be realistic. We're, we, we are still talking about a Penn State basketball program that lacks traditional success and yep. has had a difficult time getting to that point. However, something has to be said for Pat Chambers and his staff and what they were able to do over their tenure to get the program to a point right now where it's not a, you know, through the transition, that it's not a complete reversion. Yeah, it's not back to bare cupboards. Um, This is a team that would have been in the NCAA tournament two years ago. Obviously, last year did not go uh, the way that anybody had planned, but they were still a largely highly competitive basketball program. And some of the pieces from that have carried over. They were able to plug in some some gaps where they needed to this offseason. And I think that the expectation is that they'll remain competitive. How competitive? I'm not exactly sure, but uh, not at a point where you come in and expect expect to get the doors blown off every game through the Big Ten and through the non-conference schedule. So as long as it it's not a a demolition derby this season, you know where they're I don't know losing 25 games, and and I don't yeah. expect that. But yeah. I'm just saying, like as long as you can avoid that with the pieces that you're bringing in, in this class of 2022. Yeah. There's definitely an opportunity to, to keep that rolling, especially for as early. uh, And Dave can attest to this as early in the process as they are getting in on the next class, Yeah, because they're they're basically going to be done soon. Um, Obviously they're waiting on uh, a potential decision from um, Otega Owe this weekend. Uh, I think it's Friday. Um, but, but past that, you know, they're, they're probably not going to have to do a whole lot of work on the class of 2022 after that. So shift your focus to 2023, even 2024 and, and get a little bit of a head start on that and see where the cards fall. We will have a in-depth conversation with Dave Eckert, our recruiting insider for basketball coming up tomorrow on the BWI daily edition. That'll do it for us today here on the daily. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Just call me anytime. I'm, All right. I'm here. I'm sitting I, in this room 
constantly. I think I've I, at this point my body has been sutured to the chair that I'm sitting in. So we we aren't leaving. We're just turning the cameras off. That's basically what's going on. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you uh, listen, make sure you subscribe and you leave a review for the BWI Daily Edition. Of course, all of our other podcasts, which include some uh, great recruiting insight for Penn State football. We have a lot of stuff going on there as well. And of course, the uh, next issue is out for the Blue White Illustrated magazine. Visit bluewhiteillustrated.com for the latest Penn State football and recruiting news. Join us inside the Lions and Premium Forum for more pro uh september issue excuse me the october issue we're we're heading into october is on newsstands now and features penn state's freak list and other exclusive content a great article that was done by nate here himself learn more at bluewhiteonline.com or call 800-421-7751 i'm your host thomas frank Carr for the blue white illustrated daily edition we'll be back again tomorrow